We're going to be in Matthew 20, uh, verses primarily uh, verses 1 through 16, as we look at the parable of the vineyard. Raise your hand if you're familiar with this parable or this teaching. Okay, kind of gives me an, an understanding. Um, as we're going, continue to go through the gospel of Matthew, um, man, Jesus is just upending their understanding of what culture looks like and what society looks like on uh, what their goals should be in life, who's in, who's out, who's worthy, who's not. Um, and he's just, he's blowing their mind. And uh, last week is the rich young ruler. I had that teaching. And uh, in their society, you know, there was this understanding, which is still today, man, if you're, if you're healthy and wealthy, then um, you're probably closer to God. And if you're not, then, then, you're, then, you're, then you're not closer to God. And then Jesus gives this teaching right here. So Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Verse 7, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay their wages beginning with the last ones hired, going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. Verse 10, and this is really important right here. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked about only one hour, they said, and they have... And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, am I not being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you so envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, open up our minds and our hearts to the word of God. Give us your revelation that we're not just simply reading literature, but it's the very word of God. And we would not read it as mere humans, but those that are saved by the blood of the Lamb and have the Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and open our minds, Lord, and do your good work, because your word will not come back void. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So we are going to look at the king and his kingdom. As we look at this parable, we're going to look at the characters in this parable. Jesus spoke in parables. That was his style of teaching, mainly. But also it fulfilled scripture that the Messiah would speak in parables. Now, if we look at this parable, we look at the character of the landowner who also represents the king. The landowner and the land, God and the garden, the creator and his earth. And it's important that we look, it's why we're here, 
Because we believe in God. We believe he is the king. He is the Lord. He is the creator. There's no one like our God. Exodus 3.14, as we see this interaction between Moses and the Lord, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. No one is like our God. No one or no thing. When we stand in the presence of the Lord, we're on holy ground. I am that I am says a lot. I am because my parents got together and they conceived my brother and I. We're twins. You are and every other living creature. You are because something else made you. But God is I am that I am. He is the first. He's the last. He's the alpha. He's the omega. There's no one like him. And as saved people in this gathering, would we worship the Lord and look at this parable that way? He is the great I am. There's no one like him. Be in awe of the Lord. We are made in his image. So this gives us a glimpse, but not the full picture. So there's a warning here. Stop making God in your image or in the image of others. Just stop it. His love is different than your love. His justice is better than your justice. Like we need to be in awe of him. Psalms 24, one through two. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Just gives us a glimpse, everything, everything in this world is the Lord's. There's some names, I can't name them all today because I don't have the time, but there's some names that scripture gives to the Lord. One of those names is wonderful. His name is wonderful. He's counselor. Mighty God. Prince of peace. The great I am. The first and the last. The alpha and the omega. And these are just to name a few. And we see in the Old Testament especially, they're giving these names to God because they're experiencing him as their provider. As wonderful. As counselor. Prince of peace. And the list goes on. And there is something as we look at this parable and we as believers stand before holy God that we would taste and see that he is good. There is an invitation to that for all believers. And I often get asked, well, what does that even look like? I believe there's no book like the Bible. It is divine. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit into into men to write these writings throughout time. There's nothing like the gift of the Bible to the believer. I hope you cherish it. I hope you study it. I hope you question it. But scripture tells us to be more than just readers of the word, to to be doers of the word. And as we do, and as we go along, and as we live this life, man, to experience God is wonderful. It is one thing to read it and believe it and hope for it, but now you will, he actually is wonderful. It actually is. My, I believe in paid professional counselors. I believe in pastoral counseling. There's nothing like the counsel of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be reminded of that today, church. He counsels us on the daily. 
if we would open our eyes and open our ears and to have the Lord counsel you. To know him as mighty God, not just read about him as mighty, but to know him as mighty. Absolutely changes. The Prince of Peace. God promises peace and he is. It is in his being. That he is the great I am. He's unexplainable. When I was a child and they would, we would look at verses of the great I am and he's I am that I am, it would scare me. Like everything has, has a beginning and an ending. Well, not God. It's like eternity ever scare anyone when they're little? It's like that just because it's out of your mind. Good. The first and the last. Would we be reminded as we look at these parables how amazing God is and experience him? That he's in charge. Colossians 1, 16 to 17. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and him, in him all things are held together. As we look at this God, we look at this landowner, we look at this parable, the question is, and this parable is making us look at this, is he good? And in this parable, Jesus is giving, they, they know who he's talking about. Again, understand their culture and their time and, and who the audience is right now. It's not the higher-ups. It's not the aristocrats. It's not the healthy and wealthy. Even the, the analogies that God is using is probably, probably doing some triggers there. But in the text here in this parable, there's this question, is God good? Is God fair? And I would encourage you, and if we, if we were to do a little census and say, okay, if you believe God is good, raise your hand. And man, we're going to do it. Why? Because we're in a church building. Right? It's like, I don't want to be that one person that doesn't. Okay? And I get that. I get that. Do we believe in the Bible? Yes. Is God good? Yes. There's a challenge for every believer, an invitation that God is not afraid of. You won't know that he's good if you don't question if he's good. I'm not talking about theology. I'm not talking about foundations. There are times in your walk with Jesus on this side of heaven, you're going to say, God, I don't know. if you, Are you good? I believe it. But I don't know if I feel it right now. I don't know if I see it. I don't know. Lord, God, I'm questioning. How did this happen to that person? How did that thing happen? They don't deserve that. God, why? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve it. Are you good? And he is so good and he is so sovereign. He says, come taste and see. That's a confidence that only can come from God. And I would question you and then challenge you to break free from religion and actually taste and see that he's good because he is. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of God for it and the spirit of God and the experience of God. The question also comes, is, is he fair? How can this God be so good yet so full of justice? That blows our mind. We are not good at being full of authority and justice and also being good. We're not good at being good and full of justice, right? As I struggle with that as a parent, being good and kind, but also have them follow the rules. He is just that good. And as I'm reading this parable 2,000 years ago, it's most likely reminding them of their own story that they know from the book of Genesis, the garden. In the beginning, we see in the garden that God creates the heavens and he creates the earth. 
out of the formless and out of the dark, he breathes in the light. And in there, he created Adam and Eve who were created in his image. And he gives them the garden to rule, to encounter God, to experience God. They have a plan. They have a purpose. But in this garden, there's one thing that they cannot have because the landowner, the master of the garden, he gets to have rules. He gets to say what is right and what is wrong. He tells him you can have everything. A step in the middle of the garden is a tree. If you do this, if you taste this, you will surely die. And then you have Adam and Eve come together. It is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It is all good. And then here comes into the story in Genesis, the serpent, who is super crafty. And he comes to Eve. He says, did God say you can't have anything in that garden? Isn't it crazy how God just said you can have everything except the one thing. The enemy turns that blessing around to actually become something else. No, 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 no. God said you can't have any of it. She corrects him. No. He said we just can't have the one in the garden. But he's already got her on the hook. He's like, okay, I'll give you that. But he's lying when he says that you'll actually die. You won't die. You'll actually become more like God. And he's afraid of it. The center of this lie is the same lie that, God, that the enemy gives us on the daily. God's commands are against us, and he's holding out on us. And I would say this, just as, a, just as a stop right here. Don't let the enemy turn blessings into bondage or lies. He camps out on truth and tries to pervert it, tries to corrupt it. Don't let him do it. Don't believe his lies. And I would say this too before we next to the, get to the next part of the parable. Just like, do you believe that he's good? Do you believe in the word of the Lord? Because you go back to the garden, that was the important thing. The word of the Lord, his meaning behind it, and his promises behind it. And on the daily, that is our temptation. Do you believe in the word of God? And I believe the Bible, why you believe in it? Some will say yes, but do you know why you believe in it? Some young believers, maybe believers that are going through a struggle, maybe someone that's not a believer at all, say, I don't believe, I believe in the word of God. And when I ask them many times, like, why? Most of the times, they're like, I, I don't know. Or if they do think they know, there's not a lot to follow up on. I encourage you. Some have just a gift from the Holy Spirit, man. You believe because you believe, and it's from the Holy Spirit, man. And some of us are questioning, and there's answers to our questions. Do you believe in the word of the Lord, the spirit of God as he speaks to you? Why or why not? Let us just be marveled today by the goodness of God and our creator. This is, he is why we're here. We could stop right there and we'd be good, right? Just be like, man, God, you, there's, nothing, there's no one like you. But there's more to this parable. So we have the king and his kingdom, and in this kingdom are his servants, the workers The created. And these servants in all of the parables, they're living daily life like what we do. And Jesus is speaking to their culture through these parables. And one of the questions that they have, if you want to look at the parable of unforgiveness, or the one today that's about 
trust and jealousy. The question is, in their culture, who is worthy? The first will be last, and the last will be first. This is a theme and question of the ancient world. Remember, Matthew 18 starts out with the question, who is the greatest? Who is in? Who is out? And how do we measure success? It's what their ancient world was consumed with, and it's what our modern world is consumed with. And I believe today, even as we look at this scripture, that some are, there's nothing wrong with being healthy and wealthy. But things need to be put in the right perspective. Man, our world, our government, man, they're just focused on the wrong things. What we say is success, God said, isn't success. It's not, the, it's not being rich or healthy and wealthy, but it's the love of those things. It's the pursuit of those things. In America right now, we are so worried about our retirement plans and our vacation plan rather than the heart of man. Who is in? Who is out? And, and Jesus is showing them what they already struggle with. For in this parable, you have this landowner who has a vineyard and he wants people to work it. He picks the first people. These would have been the Jews, Israel, God's first chosen people. And understand that there's going to come a time when, and Jesus is already doing it from the uh, feeding of the 4,000. There's the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, feeding the 4,000 is Gentiles. Jesus is already given the teaching of the Good Samaritan. He has a tax collector as one of his disciples. Women are there. Everything in the, it's being upside down. So the audience, it's hitting home. One day there'll be this ministry that the apostle Paul will do. It is to the pagans, to the Gentiles, which is us. You have the Jews, you have the Gentiles. We are the Gentiles. And thank God for the ministry of the apostle Paul, who God says, you are going to minister to those who God's people say are out. Jews didn't like Samaritans, tax collectors, pagans, Gentiles. And the early church was mixed with both. The problem was Christian Jews thought they needed pagans or Gentiles to be more like them. And Paul says, no. The Jews are not more holy than the Gentiles. All need Jesus. And this is something I believe the first readers are, are they're, they're dealing with. We know Apostle Paul is, has writings to the church in, in Corinth, in Ephesians and Galatians, like, no, 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 like, no, no, it's by the blood of the land that you were saved. It's by the blood of the land that you were whole. Nothing else cleanses you. Nothing else cleans you. But they struggle with what we struggle with today. How can it make you more like me or my roles rather than Jesus? And in our world of marketing and doings and goings, we can fall into this same trap. God's grace and his plan is bigger than they currently know. And they're offended by God's grace and generosity. Now, how about us? How about now? Who's our group of Gentiles and pagans that we have decided by earthly flesh, God would never touch them. God would never, there's no way they could hear from God. There's no way, no. Who are the untouchables that we've decided God just can't work with? As a former teacher and coach, one thing the Lord really challenged me with is I knew 
that if I did not like my students, I would not teach my students well. I don't know what it is about kids. Parents, teachers, adults, they have this sense they know when you don't like them. They do. Right, teachers, how many teachers in this place? You guys teach. You know what I'm like. Right, you got the troubled kid that somehow by the grace of God is in your classroom. And they're absent. And you get to put that big old capital A and try not to smile. Today is going to be a good day. So-and-so isn't here. Woo! Right? And you got to check your heart in those moments. Right? You're like, oh, man. And that's on the daily for all sorts of things for us. Pastors, teachers, shepherds, moms, dads. In this world of hate, we forget that God has said, man, I am on a mission of not condemnation, but I've come to free these people. I've come to break the bondage of the enemy. And one of the first things that Jesus is breaking in the bondage of the Jewish people is how they have perverted his rules and his laws and his commandments to use as chains rather than this desperateness of saying, Yahweh, come back. Who's our untouchables now? A couple years ago, I'm ministering to one of my friends. And... uh, Single guy and is about the hitting the thirty mark, which in the Christian world is like something wrong with you if you're if you're thirty and single. It's kind of a Midwest thing. It's wrong. It's not true. Okay, okay, but we kind of live into that society norm. In fact, Apostle Paul would say, if you're single, it's a good thing. Keep it. Keep it. Buddy of mine, he's struggling with it. He's like, man, here I am. I live my whole life for God, doing the right things. Where is my reward? And I remember as he was sitting there talking, he said, man, maybe I should have lived like my other friends if this is what I get. It's not fair. That person received the good life after the way they lived while I was over here suffering for God. Now, in those moments of counseling, keep a straight face. Because, man, I knew my friend. Like, you know your friends. I'm like, dude, first of all, I don't know how much of a clean life you've actually lived. Second of all, um, your, your kingdom math is messed up, right? And I'd say be very cautious in those moments. Sometimes it's just time to shut up and pray. If you're close enough and there's some authority, you can say, man, I don't, like, so your way of thinking is I've lived a holy life set apart. He had not. But even if he had completely, I need to find someone as worthy as I am. That is a lie, and for, we have to be careful as we're talking about children's ministry. In the first service, we had, um, we had a dedication to three different families for their children. And we raised them up. The scripture says, be holy as God is holy. And there are benefits from it. But goodness gracious, you can think you're doing the right thing or even do all the right things. And trouble still comes. Stop saying stuff that the scripture does not say. That's why grace is so amazing, for no one gets what they deserve. Because God is so good. I deserve this. I don't deserve this. They deserve this. They don't deserve this or that. And one of the things that some of us are struggling right now with, whatever you're in in your life, I guess God just doesn't love me the way they love them. Or I guess I just screwed up so much, I'm just never going to get these blessings. 
However, God worked through imperfect people. I mean, if we're talking about the Apostle Paul a little bit this morning. Struggled with wrath, anger, a little bit of murder. Right? Just a little bit, a little bit. King David, man after God's own heart, murder, adultery, killed one of his best friends. God's grace is big. I want their portion. Is God fair? Look at this. The, the workers, they're upset. The first workers. And again, a denarius for that day was a great wage. They were signed up. They probably woke up that morning and be like, man, we get to, we get to eat well today. Bills are going to be paid today. This is awesome. And then every couple hours, this landowner finds more people. And they're hey, more people are coming, more people are coming. And then on purpose, for God does a lot of things on purpose. He goes to his foreman and says, find the last ones I just chose. Those that didn't have anyone else, they didn't have, no one else was calling them to work, and we're going to pay them first. And you give them a denarius. And, every, and they're watching it. The first people are watching. Jesus, on purpose in this parable, are making sure that the first ones are going to be paid last. And they are sitting there, and they have these expectations. Expectations are good, but may they be centered to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a broken world, friends. In fact, the apostles have to tell the believers, like, hey, don't think that, that God is against you. These things are happening. Don't think that you've done this sin, that these things are happening. Like, this is just a part of it. And God will use all this stuff for the increase of your faith. Generosity, the comparison game. And the, the first workers are dealing it with the last hour workers. Matthew 5, 43 to 45 You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. Again, God is unfair to us all and no one truly gets what they deserve. What we expect or what we demand. See, when we've have been found by the blood of the Lamb and Jesus Christ, you are not your own anymore. You don't write your own book anymore. You are not the author to your pages. To follow Jesus, you're saying, you are Lord, you are God, you are King, write it all. And trust him even when the chapter seems boring or when the chapter seems like, hey, I don't feel like I'm getting all the good stuff here. He's, he's not done writing the book. Ask yourself this morning, who is writing the chapters of your life, God or you? Give up your expectations and give them to God. Trust him for he is good. First part of the message, is he good? How do you know? Some of us, I mean, our struggle is that autonomy. I'm going to say he's good, but I don't believe it. I've already written the page, God. Nothing I can do. It's not how it works, friends. So they're expecting and they're brewing. They're like, Man, it's going to be payday. If it was payday for them, it better be payday for us. And it says they start to complain. They start to grumble. Understand, friends, bringing light to something, to darkness, to an injustice, is different than complaining. Please know the difference. 
me steal your praise. Psalms 118, 24, one of my favorite verses. I rejoice in the Lord and be glad in today. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. It's so tempting to look at other people's lives and covet and say, like the 10th commandment is do not covet. Do not be jealous of your brother and sister. God is going to distribute different gifts, different anointings, different riches, different heights, different hairlines. And it's because he is good. We must know the difference between complaining and speaking life and speaking truth. Saying that you're hurt isn't complaining, friends. Asking and praying for deliverance is not complaining. Grief isn't complaining. It's a product of pain and love in a fallen world. I love Lord of the Rings and uh, Tolkien. Um, when he says this, I will not say do not weep, for not all tears are an evil. But know the difference. He turns our mourning into gladness and our sorrows into joy. Know the difference between complaining. The enemy loves for us to complain, to wallow, to not trust God. The Lord God commands that his people would love one another. This is his will and it is a mark and a sign. I love Springfield, Missouri. I didn't always love Springfield, Missouri. When I first came here um, in the late 90s to go to Evangel University, I felt it was too humid and smelt like Kraft cheese. <laughs> I don't smell that smell anymore. I don't know what the deal is. But, um, and I remember being like, man, why? Oh, Lord, why am I here? I'm ready to go back home. And the Lord has other plans. He calls you different places. But I will always remember my pastor back home at New Life Assembly of God. And I was going to Evangel for really biblical reasons. Uh, they had a football team, and it was a one-to-three girl-guy ratio. That was why. Where are you going? Let me pray. That's where I'm going. And it, was, and it was out of my home state. I'm like, I want to go somewhere new. This would be great. So me and my best friend, come here. And I remember, as our pastor was praying for us, he said, man, Springfield, Missouri, man, that's AG headquarters. It's the one place I'll never pastor. I'm like, oh, why? And he's like, because it is like a microscope there. And what he was talking about, I now know after 20-something years in ministry. And I love this town. There's a church on every corner, and friends, we need to take back what the enemy has stolen. A church on every corner should be a good thing. As I always say, if it was an Andes or a steakhouse, I'd be like, woo, glory. Yes, that is a food reference. It is only a bad thing because we've allowed the enemy to take it and steal what is, which is not his. There is selfish ambition in the churches. And it can be in here too. Let it not be. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. James three sixteen. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you will find disorder in every evil practice. See, relationships in the kingdom matter to the king, so they should matter to us. And do you know who else knows that it matters to God? The devil and his dominion. 
and his principalities and his darkness. And he knows there's a key when two or more come together in my name with different giftings, different callings, but the same God. The gates of hell are freaking out. Husbands and wives, your fights are not just fights. There are strongholds that need to be fought in the name of Jesus. Church family, the person on your left, the person on your right, your grievances, we fight them so much in the physical and not enough in the spiritual. Those thoughts that come where you're like, you know what? I don't know if they steward their money well. I don't know if that, like you just don't like rich people. That's a problem. You don't just like poor people. That's a problem. One of the things that I love that the Lord continues to do in this church potty, it's by his design, not our design. Our target market was, hey, if you are hungry and thirsty for Jesus, come on in. That's all, that's all we care about. All the church leadership at that time, 16 years ago, said, you better have a target market. We said, nope, we don't. It's just people that need Jesus. But what God continues to do, man, you look around. People don't look alike. They don't act alike. They don't have the same bank accounts. It's not an echo chamber. And we've had many people come and say, man, God is doing something in the midst of these people that is completely kingdom-like. God brings the tax collector. He brings the Jew. He brings the Gentile. He brings the pagan. He brings the rich. He brings the poor. That is the kingdom of God. And the Father has entrusted the church to be keepers of the light, to work together, to tell people about his kingdom. It's our mission we often ask, in, in, in we put this out, that there's a table that the Lord has put out. Who's invited to the table? And the Word of God would say, all who are hungry, all who are thirsty, come. Come to the waters. You don't have, you don't have any, buy, any money that could buy what God has to offer. Put down your money. Come on and buy this free gift. And it's something that our society struggles with right now because of our prejudice, because lies of the enemy, because of our hurt, because of our pain, because of our culture. It says, clean up before you come in. Get right before you meet God, and it's, that's not the gospel. Come just as you are. Come hear the calling of God. Let him clean you up. The repentance, the repentance starts out, man, I'm done living for myself. I'm done trying to save myself. This, this king has got it, and I'm coming after him. And let him clean them up. It's called maturity. It's called fruits of the Spirit. We don't have tons of time to get into this day, but another lie that's in the, in the culture today, though, is the flip side of that. That says nothing is sin. I didn't have, don't have too much time today to truly get into this like I want to. I definitely didn't have time in the first service because of things we had going on, but um, there's... Two different passages for you to look at. One would be 1 John 3, uh, 9 through 10, uh, and then 1 John 1, 6 through 10. Um, and these two passages, all of 1 John is just remarkable. But it's talking about the difference between walking in sin and stumbling in sin. Raise your hand if you've heard this before. Walking in sin, stumbling in sin. Um, I hope you know that as a Christian, you, uh, you are not going to be perfect. There's only one that ever has been perfect or will be perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. Something that Christians can struggle with after they are saved is their sin. Am I stumbling in sin or am I walking in sin? And it's important to know the difference.
You cannot serve two masters. You cannot. You will not. It just doesn't work that way. It's a biblical understanding, and it's our reality. First John, the reason why they're already dealing with this in the early church is that there were liars that would take God's grace and pervert it and say, hey, you've been forgiven. You can live how you want. You can do whatever you want. Kind of like sounds like our world now. If it's not sin to you, then it's not sin. If you don't feel wrong, eh. Then there's a lot of things I've done wrong I didn't feel bad about in the moment. Can I get a hello? There's a difference between walking in sin and stumbling sin, but both are under the same premise. As you stumble in sin and you're not perfect, there's always this reality. The sin has been defeated. You don't have to sin. There's a choice in the daily. You can keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Your pursuit isn't to be perfect. That's, you don't need to be God. There is one God. But you can walk in victory. Does that make sense? And then there's the walking in sin, which the apostles made sure to teach about. Why? Because it's an important thing that we would be so intertwined as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that you can go up to your brother and go, man, you're stumbling. I'm here to help. I'm here. To, I'm going to pray. I'm going to intercede for you. And if you have a brother or a sister or a neighbor or a mom or a dad or a daughter or a son or a cousin or an enemy, and they are walking in sin, you can pray and intercede for them. Neither one are your enemy. One of the ways that the church gets wrong is through our jealousy. Who gets, who gets God's love? Who doesn't get God's love? We forget our mission. God didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whether well, a brother or sister is stumbling in sin, and may we be close enough that I can stumble in sin and I can confess that and people aren't going to gossip. They're actually going to pray and intercede. Or if they're walking in sin, can you imagine going to the doctor because you have cancer and the doctor's mad at you? I'd find a new doctor. They'd probably lose their license. Like, I'm so mad that you got cancer. Like, well, I didn't choose this. The enemy, Scripture says, is the principalities of this dark, present world. And we forget that sometimes. Scripture also says, man, you deal with someone else's sin, get the plank out of your own eye. Why? Because a surgery is going to take place. Restore your brother or sister gently. Why do we get this wrong and start watching in judgment over people, condemnation over people, rather than the freedom of Jesus Christ? Because the enemy knows when we start helping one another, praying for one another, acting like a body of Christ, then he better run and hide. We are quick to love and slow to anger. We don't walk in condemnation with one another. Some are maturing as they stumble and grow. Friends, some are walking away. And there are some in the church that would say, no sin here, and it is wrong. When someone is walking in sin, we don't talk in judgment, we intercede, we pray, pretend they're actually your child, or your son, or your daughter, or your spouse. That's how God references so I, I send the sun and the rain on the righteous and unrighteous. These are all my children. I've come to deliver them that they would know the truth and be set free. So that is the invitation. God gave us freedom in the garden. He gives us freedom at the cross. Who this day will choose the Lord? And will we help in that, not hinder in that?
And may we help one another in that. Amen? Man, jealousy, coveting. Don't be fooled by the enemy and just be so casual about sin. Don't be so casual about the thoughts, the bad thoughts that you have about your fellow brother or sister. Husbands and wives, I tell you this too. The enemy loves to come in. He doesn't, he doesn't come in with a sign. Hey, I'm super bad. You should run away. No, he comes as an angel of light. We talk about sexual addictions all the time in church history, as we should. Sexual junk is a big deal. We don't talk enough about gossip and slander and jealousy. The enemy uses it, and we're too casual about it. Sometimes your thoughts are not just your thoughts. Sometimes they're thoughts of the enemy. The last thing I want to close, and as look at verses 17 through 19, and then we're just going to worship our Jesus and get all crazy and stuff. It says, now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. The death, the sin has been defeated, friends. This is, there's a, um, there's a symmetry that happens throughout scripture and, and really in Jesus' ministry. The good, the goosebumps, die to yourself. The crowds get big on the good, the goosebumps, the die to yourself. They go, whoa. The Messiah is here. Woo, we're on top. Enemies, watch out. Yes, he's going to die. What? Remember the, the apostles, even after the death and resurrection, they're like, why did all this happen? Like, where is he at? Jesus wasn't quiet about the truth. They just didn't get it. Their hearts were so coveting that, man, we're going to be on top of the Romans. We're going to be on top of the food change. Watch what's going to happen. They missed it, but thank God he is gracious and he is good. Why is it important that we look right here? God's in charge of your life, not yours. You'll be better for it when you let go of it. He told you to sell the house, sell it. He told you to quit the job, do it. He told you to keep it, do it. Listen to the spirit. Listen to the word of God. Let go of your own autonomy. God is going to take us, just like he took them, to places that they wouldn't have chosen, but they're much better places. The disciples were like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go on this road. Like, I don't know. Like, Jesus, you can't leave us. But his plans were better than theirs. And remember, on the third day, he will be raised to life. And church, remember, he is coming back for his bride. As we close and the worship team starts to come up on three questions, as we look at this parable, and I encourage you, man, dive deep. We're talking about walking in sin. Dive deep. Friends, may, may, may you have some brothers and sisters, may your spouse, married people, that could say, are you okay? Are you good? Are you struggling? Walking that people would pray for you. Like, may we be that close and intertwined cannot deliver yourself, but the Lord does deliver. Three questions. Number one, do you believe the Lord is good and fair? And just like I said in the beginning of this passage, let that not just be, well, I know I should say that. Maybe you just have to get on your knees before the Lord. Lord, remind me, 
how good you are, how fair you've been. Lord God, reveal to me what you're doing. Like, don't let go of the Lord, but don't fake it till you make it. There's been many times in my life as a pastor, I've been going through something myself, or I've seen some loved ones going through stuff, and I'm like, Lord God, I'm not sure if you're fair. I thank God. He said, come on in and just see how good I am. Do you believe the Lord is good and fair? Second question, do you know your purpose? The world is real big on know your why. And I think that's good. But ultimately, all believers, your why, your purpose is to know God and to be loved by God. Love God and then love people. Your purpose is Jesus, and it is a great purpose. Do you know it? We live in a world where people go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do today. And as believers, we can know what we're supposed to do today. And then the last question, do you actively celebrate the blessing of others? For some, man, this comes pretty natural, just an overflowing of the Holy Spirit. For some, we're going to have to, all right, Lord, do what only you can do. Do you actively celebrate it in the life around you? If you guys can stand, we're going to close in prayer. And we do this to be reminded physically and spiritually that you're not alone. If you guys can join hands to the person to your left, to your right, just join hands. You're not alone. What you're going through, the good, the bad, the difficult, the easy, you're not alone. Don't let the enemy lie to you. These relationships in this place matter. Our brothers and sisters throughout this city, they matter. And may we continue to partner up and yoke up with the body of Christ here. Father, Lord, God, we come to you in Jesus' name, the name above all names. Do a work in your people, Lord God. How do we stop jealousy and coveting? How do we stop and just see the work of the Holy Spirit? We fight the battle against the principalities of this present darkness rather than our brother and sister. Rather than who's the president or who not, who's not the president. What the stock market is today or not. Will we yoke up with other believers in this city and say, yes, Jesus is Lord? Will we yoke up with those that are in this room and say, Jesus is Lord? God, we continue on this rescue mission and trust. Trust in your portion, for you are good. And would we have the testimony to say, yeah, we've tasted and we've seen, and he's good, and he just keeps getting better and better and better and better. Father, do your work in your people. In Jesus' name.